So this is not the main thing that I want to talk about with you today on this show, but I could not start this show without first noting there have been reports that of all the Afghan refugees that the Biden administration has actually evacuated from Afghanistan, keeping in mind, of course, that Americans are still in Afghanistan, the Biden administration has brought from Afghanistan um, abusive old men who are, and I'm putting this in quotation marks for those of you just listening, married to child brides. That means little girls who were forcibly paired with old men who are sexually exploiting them. So Biden brought from Afghanistan abusive old men married to child brides. He brought from Afghanistan in this in this 30,000 um, Afghan refugees, he brought dozens of people with suspected terror ties. Now, when I say dozens, I'm not just picking that number out of a hat. The actual numbers are there were 30,000 Afghan refugees evacuated from Afghanistan by the US. 10,000 of them um, were flagged for additional review. Of those 10,000, 100 of them were identified as having potential ties to the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or other terror organizations. And two of them were actually not even allowed into the United States. They were shipped to Kosovo because of, I think, proven ties to actual terror groups over there. So again, Joe Biden brought from Afghanistan abusive old men married to child brides. He brought dozens of people with suspected terror ties, but Joe Biden refused. He refused to bring to the U.S. a pregnant American citizen who is still crying for help, a three-year-old boy who was beaten by the Taliban trying to get to the airport, and an Afghan interpreter who once saved Biden's life when Biden's chopper went down in Afghanistan. How awful is that? Meanwhile, Blinken, Secretary of State Blinken, is denying that there's a hostage situation going on in Afghanistan right now, even though he also simultaneously admits that the Taliban is blocking private charter flights from leaving Afghanistan. Dude, which way is it? You can't have it both ways. Either the Taliban is blocking flights, blocking private flights, which means they are holding those people hostage, not allowing them to leave, or the Taliban is letting people go, which is not happening. Again, you can't have it both ways. There's also additional reports, by the way, that the State Department blocked some private planes from leaving Afghanistan because Biden resented that it was private entities that were doing that versus uh, the United States government. Imagine allowing your ego to factor into a decision like that when people's lives are at stake, American citizens' lives are at stake. This is what we're dealing with with the Biden administration. Again, this is not how I planned to start the show, but I was reading this just before we came on air, and it just, it, it makes me angry. It's shocking to me. It's astounding that anybody any president of the United States in the White House with this amount of power, this amount of influence, would make decisions knowing the repercussions, the deadly repercussions of his decisions. It's astounding to me what Biden has done in Afghanistan. And perhaps that's why, by the way, there's a poll, a new poll out. It's a Zogby poll that shows that 20% of Biden voters, that's one out of every five people who voted for Biden in the presidential election in 2020, regret casting their vote for him. 20%. I mean, this is this is a shocking poll. And if you delineate it by the demographic of the voter, it's perhaps even more shocking. 33% of Hispanics who voted for Biden in 2020 regret voting for him. 25% of African Americans who voted for Biden in 2020 regret voting for him. Three out of every 10 Republicans who voted for Biden, Republicans who voted for Biden, yes, this is all your fault. You were the ones who did this. Three out of every 10 Republicans who voted for Biden regret doing so, and 20% of Democrats regret it. 14% of independents. Um, the interesting part of this poll, actually, is that not very many females regret voting for Biden. Only 13% compared to 27% of males who voted and now regret it. Now, here's the real kicker. Here's the real kicker with this poll. This poll was conducted before the fall of Kabul. 
So one out of every five people who voted for Joe Biden for president regretted voting for him before the Afghanistan debacle. Imagine what these numbers would look like now when the American people, even before Biden handed over Afghanistan back to the terrorists, allowing the terrorists to kill 13 of our fellow countrymen, imagine what they would think now in the wake of that. Hopefully, it would be wholehearted rejection. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, there's been a lot of reports, um, mentions, rumblings. You know, you'll know what I'm talking about in a second, that perhaps Donald Trump is considering running again in 2024. Now, this is something he's going to tease a lot. We know that. He's going to tease this run up until the very last second. But there's been some rumblings that he's getting more serious about actually doing it. Is this the case? Is this just a rumor? Would this be a good thing? Would this be a bad thing? We're going to break that down in just a second. But first, let me talk to you about Nutrafol. I'm going to be very blunt right now. Are you a man and are you bald? Because if you are a man and if you are a bald, if you are bald, you don't have to be. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not promising some magic solution to your uh to your your hair problems here, but what I can offer you is Nutrafol. Nutrafol is holistic. It's not pharmaceutical. It's intended for men just like you who are suffering from thinning hair and it's endorsed by top doctors across the country because it works. It's not something that impacts other areas of your life, if you know what I mean. We've talked about this before. You basically can grow thicker, healthier hair. And by the way, you can also support our show by going to Nutrafol.com, research them, look them up, enter the promo code Liz to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's only available to US customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. So get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Liz. Like I said, it's holistic, it's non-pharmaceutical, it doesn't impact your sex drive, and it helps with thicker, healthier hair. What could be better? Do it for yourself. You deserve it. Okay, will Donald Trump run for president again in 2024? Again, the rumblings say that Donald Trump is getting more serious, especially in the wake of Afghanistan. There was even an article, by the way, that I read this morning um, that said that Donald Trump has lost 15 pounds and stopped spray tanning. I don't know what that means, meaning it's apropos of nothing, but um, sometimes politicians like to revamp their physical image before they run for higher office. Um, Perhaps that's what Trump is doing. I don't know. Maybe he's just less stressed. Maybe he's just playing golf more. Who knows? But he has lost 15 pounds. He has stopped spray, spray tanning, according to reports. Does that mean that he will run in 2024? And more importantly, as conservatives, what do we think of this? do we want him to run in 2024? So here's how I would break it down. First of all, the majority of the Republican Party like Donald Trump. If you look at straw polls, if you look at um, inter-party approval ratings, President Trump, um, if you just look at approval of him independently, not compared to anybody else, he still has over 90% approval ratings among Republicans. That's astronomically high. That's higher than most other presidents, most other elected officials, even within their own party, among people of their own party, that's higher. Now, if you compare Trump to some of the other front runners like DeSantis or Ted Cruz um, or Nikki Haley, Trump gets over 70% support still. In the closest in the closest comparative poll recently, it was something like Trump got 70% and the closest in second was DeSantis at I believe 26%. So that's pretty significant approval amongst his pre-existing supporters. And that's very important because turnout the vote is sometimes how 
how politicians win the presidency. It's not even winning over the other side. It's, can you turn out your own people? So here's what I would say. If President Trump is the nominee, of course, I'm going to support him. I think he did a good job as president for the first three years. A, a very good job, actually, the first three years, except spending. That's the one pretty big caveat there. I don't think he did a good job handling COVID. You all know that. I've said that for the past year and a half. I don't think that Fauci should have been empowered. And once we realized that Fauci was a fraud, he should have been kicked to the curb. And now we can see exactly why. So if he's the if he's the nominee, I'll support him. I think he was a good conservative uh, president for the most part, excepting that last year. Here's my hesitation. My hesitation with Donald Trump running in 2024 is his age. He'll be a lot older then, and we don't want a repeat of the Biden situation. Not that he shows any indication of that, but we don't. Here's perhaps my biggest hesitation, and it's not a personal thing. It's a personnel thing. Donald Trump did not surround himself with good qualified people. Many of the scandals or even media drama, many of the things that I did not care for that came out of the Trump administration came from bad hires. And so if Donald Trump is going to run for president in 2024, he's going to have to be much more open about who he's going to surround himself with, I think. And because this is not an opinion that I am the only person that holds. I've talked with a myriad of conservatives who agree with me that President Trump did a good job his first three years, that if he's the nominee, sure, we'll support him. And they still express hesitation about who he would put in his administration. So I think that that would be a big selling point for uh, Republicans and conservatives. The third hesitation that I would have about Donald Trump being the nominee in 2024 is actually how the opposition reacts to him. It is Trump derangement syndrome. And it's it's not just the fact that Donald Trump makes liberals froth at the mouth. That in and of itself, I don't care about. Perhaps that means that he's a fighter. That means that they're threatened by him. What I do care about is they have constructed a strategy, a media strategy. Now, when I say media strategy, this is collaborative and cooperative between big tech, between the federal government, between the mainstream media, cable news channels, between what used to be the legacy print media. There's this big collusion and, co and collaboration, corroboration between um, all of these media aspects so that the politicians themselves don't have to get their hands dirty or take responsibility for their words. And this strategy was very effective in changing public opinion about Donald Trump. And so I worry that since that strategy is in place already, that they would deploy that against Donald Trump again. And since, yes, he was able to convince half of the country that it was BS, since it was BS, I don't know how those same people who were not convinced, meaning the Hillary Clinton voters or the Joe Biden voters, the Trump derangement syndrome folks, I don't know how they would be convinced another time around that what they believed in 2020 isn't true in 2024 with the same person. So I, I know that's kind of a nuanced view, but that's my hesitation um, with President Trump running. However, when I see things like what I'm about to show you, um, it does make me miss President Trump an awful lot because there's a reason that people like Donald Trump, right? And it's not just because he was a Republican president. People don't feel that same way about past Republican presidents, except maybe Ronald Reagan. But in general, people don't feel that excitement, that enthusiasm, even that loyalty to everyday American Republican conservative politicians. The reason that people like Donald Trump is because of this. Just watch this first. Watch this first. Afghanistan cannot be used as a terrorist base. But Afghanistan has become a Disneyland for terrorists. We plan for every contingency. Total chaos. 
It is heartbreaking. It is depressing. It's a failure, and he needs to own that failure. Bear responsibility for all that's happened. He did not admit any mistakes. He did not uh, offer any change, of course. He says we're going to continue forward. He really isn't taking responsibility. Mr. Biden, you did this. You made the deal with the Taliban. This is the consequences of it. Of people being left behind. There's American citizens left. We're going to stay to get them all out. We did not get everybody out. Dozens and dozens of U.S. citizens went to the airport and the gates never opened. The mission hasn't failed yet. If this isn't failure, what does failure look like exactly? But uh, there's, you know, there to be. There's one word to describe that ad, and that word is brutal. Brutal is the word to describe that ad. Every bit of it is true, and this is the reason that people like Donald Trump, because he's a fighter, because the radical left, we t- I talk about this all the time. Almost, It's relevant to almost every aspect of politics, whether you're talking about education, you're talking about the greater culture wars, meaning gender, meaning marriage, meaning family, whether you're talking about fighting against socialism and communism, the Green New Deal, Medicare for all, whatever it is, um, the radical left is in it to win it. They came with a fire in their belly. They are ready to play dirty. They will win this unless we stop them. And historically, and when I'm talking historically, I'm talking the last 10, 15, 20 years. I'm not talking about literally 250 years ago. But historically, Republican politicians have tried to be compassionate conservatives. They've tried to be nice. They've tried to be relatable. They've tried to be bipartisan. They've tried to be cooperative. All of these words that, if you actually think about it, have no virtue in and of themselves. Um, And Republicans have fallen prey to this idea that they will win over leftist voters if they're just nice, if they're just relatable, if they can just speak the truth. And unfortunately, in this day and age, that's not true. What we need is we need a fighter. We need politicians, especially in the highest office of the land, who are willing to identify radical leftist ideology for what it is, a fundamental threat, an existential threat to the United States of America and our Constitution, and everything we hold dear, all of our principles and values and morals and freedoms and rights. We need politicians who will recognize what this fight against radical leftist ideology is and fight tooth and nail against it. And that, that Donald Trump has always delivered. And if this ad is anything indication of the future, it looks that he's promising to deliver again. Folks, this can be very interesting watching what happens in 2022 and into 2024. Another election that's a little bit more imminent, one week away, less than one week away, actually, is happening out in California, the recall election of Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom embodies the uh, radical leftist ideology that I just described, this existential threat to our freedom and liberty and the idea of equal rights and equal protection under the law. You know, our idea of freedom and liberty and justice. Now, I always expect pandering from politicians as kind of part of the part of the game. And it's always, I always roll my eyes when politicians pander, but that's one thing. Pandering is one thing. Gavin Newsom takes this to a level that is indescribably disgusting, so obvious, so grotesque, so slimy. Please listen to this for yourself. The idea that we have someone on the other side of this ballot that could be sworn in in a matter of weeks that not only doesn't believe a woman has the right to choose, not only doesn't believe, as the senator said, women are as smart as men. By the way, I don't know if 
You've seen Senator Warren cross-examine folks on Wall Street. Apparently, Larry Elder has not. Women are smarter in politics, smarter in civics. They're smarter in economics. Women rule. Okay, so let's play by the rules of Gavin Newsom's intersectionality here, where since he's a straight white male, he should shut up and sit down and listen to me, I guess, just because I'm a woman. Those are his rules, not mine. So let's go ahead and play with them. Governor, you shut down our businesses in California. We lost our jobs in California as the people of California. Our children are forcibly masked. When they're allowed to go in school, most school is on Zoom, except for your kids. You closed down beaches. You denied us entry to our houses of worship, to our churches. You locked us down in our homes. There's no question in the world that you should be recalled. Of course you should be recalled. And by the way, do you know what the Democrats in the state of California are doing? I saw this this morning again. I did this deep dive into radical leftist ideology and found a lot of gems, a lot of strategy from the radical left. The leftists, the leftist, the Democrats in California are actually plotting to change the recall laws in California to make it harder to recall Democratic governors because they say too often has this challenge happened. Too often have the people of California not liked the governor they elected and wanted to kick them out and Democrats therefore have lost their seat in, lost their seat at the head of California, lost the governorship in California. So they're trying to increase the number of signatures that you have to get. They, ha they want the standard for a recall to be actual malfeasance. You have to prove something was illegal or wrong, not just that you're dissatisfied or you know overreach of power. They're trying to change the rules. This is what Democrats do in all elections. Fortunately, it's not gonna impact this particular recall election, but this is always what the Democrats do. They cannot play by the rules, so they change the rules. They change the rules to favor them. They change the rules to make the playing field unfair. They change the rules so that you and I never have a voice, never have a chance to win, can't fight against radical leftist ideology. Governor Newsom, thank you for listening since I'm a woman and you're not. And apparently, according to your intersectionality rules, you have to listen to what I say. And let me tell you, it's time for you to leave. It's time for you to leave the state of California completely alone. Okay, the Texas abortion law is, um, how do we even describe this? The Texas abortion law is making leftists fly into a tizzy all over the country. Leftists are freaking out about this law. And there is one particular place where all of the silly talking points from the left, all of the pro-abortion talking points, all of the talking points the leftists deploy against pro-lifers are all compacted into one nice little place. It's both hilarious and dangerous. And oh boy, am I gonna debunk that in just a second. But first, I wanna talk to you about Truebill. Do you guys know why free trials for subscription services renew automatically without your consent? You might've seen this before in your credit card bill. Well, the reason for that is it's a business scam, plain and simple. So my message to you today is don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. There's a solution to this problem. It's called Truebill. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and then stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, you don't want, or if you're like me, you probably just forgot about every month and then you keep seeing it recur on your credit card bill. On average, people who use Truebill save up to $720 a year. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. This is how it works. You just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscription in just one tap. That's all it takes. Or 
If you don't want to do it yourself, your Truebill concierge will cancel them for you. So download Truebill to take control of your subscription. It's helped 2 million users save $100 million. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Liz. Go right now, Truebill.com slash Liz. It could save you thousands of dollars a year. Truebill.com slash Liz. Okay, the Texas abortion bill drama or the heartbeat law, that's what we should be calling it because that's what it's really about. The heartbeat uh, law drama is escalating. So here's where I want to start. Before we even get into the actual heart of the matter, which is the heartbeat, um, let's talk about Jen Psaki for a second. So nothing makes me laugh harder in politics when the radical left set rules especially when these are like politically correct, woke rules, they're intersectionality rules, they're if you don't follow these, you're a transphobe rules, and then the radical left violates their own rules. Literally nothing makes me laugh harder when um, I'm watching these videos and I hear these radical leftists trip over their own ridiculous rules. Well, entered Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki snapped at a male reporter asking about the Texas pro-life uh, heartbeat bill uh, she snapped at him because I guess she doesn't think he should have an opinion about it. Why? Well, because she admits that men can't get pregnant. Take a listen to this. Why does the president support abortion when his own Catholic faith teaches abortion is morally wrong? Well, he believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. Why does the president, who does he believe then should look out for the unborn child? He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant, but for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. President believes their rights should be respected. Go ahead. But wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I have been reliably told by the left that you don't have to be a woman to get pregnant, that men can be pregnant. We've even changed the terms. The left has changed the term to pregnant person. They're no longer calling women, women, no longer calling women, women. They're calling them pregnant people or birthing persons. I thought men could get pregnant. Jen Psaki, are you transphobic? Are you being exclusionary towards men who get pregnant? AOC had the same problem. She was on television and she starts referring to people in Texas who will be affected, she says, by this bill. And of course, who is going to be affected by this? Well, women. Women is what she wants to say. And she starts saying woman. Um, and then she she changes it. She goes, women, I, I, I mean menstruating people, people who menstruate. Alexandria, who menstruates? Think back to third grade health class, fourth grade biology class, fifth grade sex ed class, who menstruates? Yes, that's right. People with uteruses. Who are people with uteruses? Women. Women. That's right, women. The like I said, the funniest part here is just mocking these leftists because they're ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. Um, the problem here is what they're doing. So we can laugh at them and we can mock them and we should, they deserve it. However, what they're doing is they're trying to dehumanize the baby. They're trying to shift the conversation away from the heart of the matter in order to dehumanize the child growing in its mother's womb because if you don't dehumanize the child, then it's impossible to kill the child. This has happened throughout the course of history, whether we're talking about unborn children or any other people that has been oppressed, has been uh, killed, has been subjugated, anything. There's always dehumanization that happens first. So we see this strategy being deployed by the left. They're dehumanizing the baby. And so... This is what every pro-lifer, every conservative, every Republican on any venue should be asking. Is the unborn child a human being? 
Is this a life inside the mother? If we ask this question and force the left to answer on our terms, to play on our home field, to play by science, then we're going to get a lot further in the court of public opinion. And, and here's the answer, by the way. So if we're talking about, is the unborn child a person? There's not a lot of argument, even from the left, that an unborn child is not a person. It's scientifically known that life begins at conception. There are a few people, and I'll show you who in just a moment, who are denying this. But mostly, even abortion activists don't deny that the unborn baby is a person. They just avoid the conversation because they don't want to concede that scientific fact. But here is the science of the thing. So there's a guy named Steve Jacobs. He, uh, during his graduate, not his graduate, his PhD study at the University of Chicago, his thesis was about what information actually changes people's minds on abortion. He wasn't, he wasn't advocating for one position or another. He was just, he was just asking from a scientific standpoint, um, what is it that changes people's minds? So he conducted a scientific survey in two parts to figure out this question. The first part were um, 2,899, to be exact. American adults were surveyed, and 81% of these 2,899 American adults said that biologists, academic biologists, were the most qualified people uh, to answer the question of when a human's life begins. They were given options about religious clergy. They were given options about a woman. They were given options, you know, about who exactly is the most authoritative person to answer the question of when does a human life begin. 81%, which is an overwhelming majority in the statistical world, said biologists were the most qualified. Um, and by the way, the underpinning of this is 83% of abortion activists, or even just people who are pro-abortion, said that they believed that the support for legal abortion would decrease if it became common knowledge that fetuses, their words, fetuses are biological humans at fertilization. So the abortion lobby, in other words, wants to hide from you the scientific truth that life begins at conception. They want to hide, not, not necessarily from you and I, because we know this, but they want to hide from the public at large who uh, doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily active in the pro-life movement. They want to hide the scientific fact because the overwhelming majority believe that if this were common knowledge, support for legal abortion would go down. It's pretty significant. So the second part of Jacob's survey, after he established that the majority of people, 80% of people, believe that academic biologists are the authoritative source on when life begins, he surveyed 5,502 academic biologists. These are people from all around the world, not just our country. And he asked these biologists the questions. The question, when does a human life begin? 95% of these biologists answered, life begins at conception. 5,212 out of 5,502. Does that give you the chills or what? This has established Steve Jacobs, and I, I've met this guy. He did really good work. Um, I talk about his, his, his research a lot because I think it's such a powerful tool for people in the pro-life movement, regardless of whether you're Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. This is such a powerful tool because it illustrates people's mindset and how to actually get to the root of how to change hearts and minds. But again, this all comes back to the fact that leftists try to dehumanize the baby, the unborn baby, because that's the only justification then for killing that unborn child. But when you actually dive into it, if people know that life begins at conception, if they believe that, if they're told that by what they believe is an authoritative source, it changes their mind on abortion. So that's the first thing. The second thing, Greta Thunberg has weighed into this debate. Well, weren't we all dying to hear from her? Greta Thunberg has weighed into the debate by um, posting uh, some kind of meme or graphic on Twitter. 
And this is what it says. The reason women have abortions is what she titled it. And the graphic, for those of you watching, you can see it on the screen. For those of you listening, it's a pie chart. And it says 60% personal choice, 10% not your concern, 8% mind your business, and 22% F off. So glad to have you know, such scientific, thoughtful, logical input into this life and death debate that's happening in our country. But the thing is, the actual reasons women have abortion is another aspect or another fact that leftists try to cover up. Because when you look at the actual reasons why women have abortions, it contradicts the narrative coming from the left. The narrative coming from the left is that women have abortions because they're raped, because they're victims of incest, because of life of the mother, because of fetal abnormalities. They deny the fact that women use abortion as birth control, that women have abortions and the life of their unborn baby intentionally just purely based on the convenience, on the fact that they don't want that child right now. That's what the left tells us. But when you actually look at the studies, again, it debunks the reason why. This is very important because it doesn't matter, again, whether you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, pro-life, pro-abortion, people feel very put off. They feel very off-put by the idea that a woman would terminate the life of her unborn child, commit an abortion just for convenience. So here's what it says. The Guttmacher Institute is uh, essentially the research arm of Planned Parenthood. The reason I'm establishing that is because this is not a pro-life organization. This is not a conservative organization. They ran a study about the reasons women have abortion. This is what they found. 25% of women said they were not ready for a child or the timing was wrong. So 25% of women said inconvenient. 23% said they can't afford a baby right now. 19% said that they'd completed their childbearing. 8% said they don't want to be a single mother or they're having relationship problems. 7% said they don't feel mature enough. 4% said a baby would interfere with career or school plans. And only 4% cited problems with, their own, with the mother's health. 3% said possible problems with the baby's health. And less than half a percent said rape or somebody else pressuring them to have an abortion. So think about that for a second. Every single one of those issues, aside from the very small fraction who cited health problems, and by the way, it's still wrong, Fetal abnormality is, is not a justification for ending the life of that unborn baby. But over 90% of women cited some kind of convenience or inconvenience factor as the reason that they had an abortion. It's chilling, isn't it? And th this is true, not just for first trimester, not just for second trimester abortion. This is true for late-term abortion too. Again, even Bernie Sanders has said in the past that he believes late-term abortions are not very common and that when they are, they're because of fetal abnormalities or life of the mother. That's not true. There can be up to 30,000 late-term abortions every year in our country. Think about how many children that is, 30,000. Well, the Perspectives of Sexual and Reproductive Health, again, a very leftist organization, um, they ran a study about why women have late-term abortions. 68% of women responding said that they had no pregnancy symptom until the first, through the first and second trimester till the third trimester. Wow, not my experience. 58% said they did not confirm their pregnancy until the second trimester. 30% had difficulty deciding whether to keep the child or to abort the child. None of the respondents in that particular survey cited any medical reason about the mother or the baby. A similar survey from US News and World Report reported that less than 10% of late-term abortions were for fetal or maternal health. Again, this is convenience. It is convenience. The vast, vast, vast majority of abortions are committed because of convenience just because the mother wants an abortion. Again, this contradicts the leftist narrative and it's very important because it changes people's mind. Now, 
rewinding just a second, let's take a small journey back when I said that most leftists don't contest the idea that life begins at conception, that that unborn child is a life from the moment that a sperm fuses with an egg. However, there's one person who is contesting that, but late in his life, he did not originally contest this idea. I'm talking about President Joe Biden. President Joe Biden um, in 2015 said something very different than what he's saying now. So first I want to tell you what Joe Biden is now saying. He's now saying that he doesn't agree that life begins at conception. Take a listen. I respect people who think that, who don't support Roe v. Wade. I respect their views. I respect them, they, those who believe life begins at the moment of conception and all. I, I respect that. Don't agree, but I respect that. I'm not gonna impose that on people. He doesn't agree. Well, why is that? What evidence do you have that it's not a life? What's changed your mind? Biden doesn't tell us, but back in 2015, he said that he was prepared to accept the scientific fact. Take a listen. I'm prepared to accept that the moment of conception is human life and being. So let me tell you what's happening here. What's happening here, the reason that Biden changed his mind is because he's now surrounded by rapidly, rapidly pro-abortion activists. We're talking Kamala Harris, we're talking Javier Becerra, we're talking about some of the most pro-abortion tied to Planned Parenthood politicians in our entire nation. So Biden is surrounded by those folks. Those folks are pushing him, not just to look the other way on abortion, not just to kind of toe the party line, but you know, walk along. They are pushing him to actively make abortion part of his platform, to use the full power of the federal government, not just to allow abortion, but to encourage it, to expand access, to make it as prevalent and non-stigmatized, unstigmatized as possible. They want him to be an abortion champion. Now, Joe Biden cannot do this if he acknowledges that life begins at conception. So what he's doing is he's denying reality in order to dehumanize the unborn child because that's the only way that he's going to be able to politically push abortion the way that the rapidly pro-abortion politicians around him, Kamala, Becerra, and others, are pushing him to do. You can see it happening. You can see the reverse of what we want to happen, but you can see it happening on Joe Biden. Then, of course, and this is what I've been waiting for. This is uh, what I've been most excited about the whole show. Joy Reid from MSNBC. She has called conservatives uh, essentially the Taliban over this abortion law. She did the most remarkably ridiculous um, monologue that anyone has ever heard on the face of the earth about abortion. All of the silly false talking points are all in one place at one time. So let's take a listen to this. You're going to be as excited as I am once you hear how utterly absurd this is. First of all, did you know you were the Taliban because you were pro-life? Take a listen. The things that the vast majority of people want, women to have liberty, personal bodily liberty, most people want that, but that between Republicans who don't respect the rules and the laws and who are willing to, to cheat and willing to do whatever it takes, and now the courts being on their side, and they're now being a solid majority of them who want to enact hyper right-wing basically even, you know, a certain type of evangelical rule over us, which is Talibanism, right? This is our sect and you will live by our sect, whether you want to be a part of it or not. That scares me. Let's be very clear here. The Taliban rapes women, beats women, tortures women, sexually abuses women. They take child brides, which is child sexual abuse. They kill oppress and subjugate women. Women are not allowed to go to school. They're not allowed to hold jobs. They have no voting rights, no independence, and no inherent human rights. That is the Taliban. The pro-life movement in America doesn't take any rights away from anybody. 
You have no right to an abortion. The pro-life movement recognizes the rights of unborn children and protects the rights of those unborn children. So quite literally, opposite of the Taliban. Because the pro-life movement recognizes the humanity of people. The Taliban deliberately dehumanizes people and deprives them of their humanity. So I know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that, but surely even Joy Reid is able to wrap that idea uh, around her mind. So she goes on to say, and th this is a very common talking point. I'm sure you've heard this. She goes on to say that the Republican Party cannot be pro-life unless, unless, and then lists a whole bunch of uh, essentially socialist talking points that you can't call yourself pro-life unless you also are a leftist. And um, I don't know, it's very elementary. As a matter of fact, I expected more of her. Take a listen to this. You can't call yourself a pro-life party. If your policy goals are to allow the maximum number of people to die of COVID, including children, by banning mask mandates in businesses and schools and raising doubts about vaccines, especially if your policy ideas bring death to your own stars and spokespeople and activists. Republicans are America's most unvaccinated and vaccine resistant group, and they are driving COVID cases and deaths, including among their own children and other people's children and are largely responsible for the overwhelmed hospitals that we're seeing today. That's not pro-family, and it's definitely not pro-life. You can't call yourself a pro-life, pro-family party if your policy goals are to put bounties on pregnant women and to force teenage girls to give birth after getting pregnant as a result of incest and rape. That's literally the plot of The Handmaid's Tale, but pro-life, it is not. Especially if your other core policies are to oppose giving those children you demand to be born health care. If you oppose giving their parents a living wage so they can afford to feed them. And you oppose funding free lunches at school if their parents can't afford it. You can't call yourself pro-life if your policy goals are to allow polluters to despoil the earth and wreck the environment so that more people die as a result of increasingly violent storms and hurricanes and floods and wildfires. That's literally a pro-death policy that includes being real cool with the death of the planet. And if your voters overwhelmingly vote to reelect a president who was morally responsible through his own inaction and lies for the deaths of more than a half a million fellow Americans, and you're still plotting to put him back in office and spreading dangerous lies about the election that the FBI says are fueling domestic terrorism, even after members of your dear leader's cult stormed our Capitol, bringing treason flags and nooses and hunting lawmakers, including the five-foot-tall woman speaker, while chanting, hang Mike Pence. You are not pro-life. If you continue to demand that more American troops keep dying in forever wars so military contractors can keep raking in the dough, that is not pro-life. The Republican Party is a lot of things, anti-democracy, anti-voting, anti-history, anti-facts, and deeply opposed to anti-racism. What they are not is pro-life. Where to even start? You could literally, if you had a transcript of that monologue, you could close your eyes and point to any particular spot on that transcript in that verbiage, and it would be a lie. So. Let's do that. Let's start. Let's debunk this. So Joy Reid claims that the maximum number of people, uh, that Republicans want the maximum number of people to die from COVID. That's obviously false. It's a horrible accusation. I might be a little desensitized to accusations like that at this point, but truly, if you, if you unravel it, it's horrible. She's accusing Republicans of mass murder because Republicans are not in favor of mask mandates, which at this point are scientifically and therefore objectively ridiculous, and because some Republicans and conservatives choose to opt out of the vaccine to decline this COVID-19 vaccine, this new 
a not long studied vaccine. So here's what I would say. First of all, masks, cloth masks, and surgical masks do not work to stop the spread or the transmission of COVID-19 according to scientific studies. I know the CDC presents lots of studies where they say, oh, masks work. But if you actually unravel the methodology of those studies, they're problematic. And the good studies, the ones with control groups, show that masks don't work. I did a whole episode on this. Um, the title is very self-evident, but please go back and look at that if you'd like to see the scientific evidence against mask mandates. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this vaccine, get it if you want, don't get it if you want. I don't care, not anti-vax, not pro-vax. In this particular case, literally don't care, it's your business. But the facts of the matter are, this vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine, does not stop transmission of the COVID-19 virus, period. That is according to the CDC. It does not stop infection from the virus. Okay. So then what point is she trying to make? Why would she care if you got the vaccine, if she got the vaccine and she believes the vaccine works? But if she believes the vaccine doesn't work and that she's still at risk if you don't get the vaccine, then what she's saying is she doesn't believe the vaccine works. And if the vaccine doesn't work, then what justification does she have or any government official have to mandate this vaccine? Again, the logic coming from this woman is completely absent. Also. Who is she to talk about science and logical behavior when she admitted on air that she double masked, she wore two masks, one on top of the other, after being vaccinated, while running outside by herself? That is the behavior of someone who is psychotic, someone who is crippled with fear, someone who has a mental disorder that is blocking rational behavior. That's the first thing. The second thing is she blames Republicans. She says, Republicans are America's most unvaccinated and vaccine-resistant group. This is objectively false. In fact, the demographic, and we'll, we'll divide this in a couple of ways, the demographic um, with the lowest percentage of vaccine intake, if you will, the most unvaccinated demographic is actually Black Americans. Black Americans are the particular demographic who has declined the vaccine the most. But Joy Reid doesn't mention that, does she? No, no, because that would contradict the point that she's trying to make, that Republicans are evil. In fact, it's also, she also claims, of course, that it's low-information Trump voters. I don't know if that was her line, but that's the, that's the going narrative here. Low-information Trump voters, well, Black people aren't typically Trump voters, and uh, they weren't in 2020, at least. And the low-information part, the other demographic that is the most vaccine-resistant, to use her words, are PhDs. Literally, PhDs are the most likely educational class to decline the vaccine, and then not to change their mind even in the face of more information. So, Joy Reid doesn't know how to research, I guess. Um, again, she claims that the unvaccinated are driving COVID cases and deaths. But for the reason that I mentioned before, this doesn't make any sense. Because if you believe that the vaccine works, and if you get the vaccine that you are protected from COVID-19, then how could, um, how could, an unvaccinated person be the driver of anybody's case other than theirs if you're protected from transmission. Now, the obvious answer here is that the COVID-19 vaccine doesn't prevent transmission. You can still contract it and you could pass it along, but that debunks their, their vaccine narrative. So can't have it both ways. Of course, Joy Reid and her fear-mongering, she mentions children, deaths among children, but here's what I would say. Every time a child dies, it's a tragedy. It's funny, actually, that... Um, she doesn't care about the unborn children that were being slaughtered in Texas that are now protected from death because of the heartbeat law, but 
again, logic, not a strong suit. Here's here's the thing. There are still fewer children who have died from the Delta variant of COVID-19 than the uh, average yearly death toll among children for the seasonal flu. The flu is still more deadly to children than COVID-19, even the Delta variant. You won't hear that from her. Um, teenage girls, she said, are forced to give birth after rape and incest. Th- this is a particularly insidious accusation because it's not true. It's not true at all. And it actually exploits people who have been victimized. So less than 1% of abortions uh, across the country are because of rape and incest. And every single instance, whether that baby is aborted or whether the woman heroically and courageously chooses to keep that baby is tragic. But we should not be making these women political pawns. What we should be doing is helping them. What we should be doing is giving them compassion. What we should be doing is telling them your life isn't ruined if you keep that child, that we will be there for you, so will the community, and we will do everything in our power under the law to make sure that the rapist who victimized you, who committed that crime, who brutalized you, is held to the full extent of the law, put away for life. That's what we should be doing, not using these poor girls as pawns and then misrepresenting the numbers of them. That's simply a lie. It's exploitation. So then we get to the socialist talking points, uh, this this hostage demand list that you can't be pro-life if you oppose universal health care and if you oppose giving the parents of these babies a living wage. So first of all, universal health care leads to rationing. Universal health care leads to less quality of care, more difficult to actually get that care, and less choice for individuals on what care they get. So if you want to talk about pro-life, you talk about giving people the freedom to make those choices and encouraging a free market that will innovate to give them the best choice at the lowest cost possible. And living wage hurts the lowest income people. It hurts lowest income because it makes it hard to break into the workforce and it drives up the cost of goods and services, which hurts those who are not making a lot of money because then they have to pay more for what they need. So this is absolute drivel, absolutely debunked. She brings climate change into this. Climate change. You can't be pro-life, she said, unless, unless you fight against climate change because of hurricanes. Well, again, the facts contradict this woman. The UN says hurricanes are less frequent and only expected to increase by 5% intensity by the end of the 21st century. So again, not factual. She then talks about the FBI. (laughs) Believe it or not, I have no idea what the possible tie-in here could be. Um, You heard her though. So here's what I would say. Yes, the FBI labels people who question the integrity of the 2020 presidential election as potential terrorists. That's true. All this does though is remind us how corrupt the swamp is. This has nothing to do with the humanity of an unborn child. It has everything to do with big government, the administrative state, and how corrupt politicians on both sides of the aisle. And then, of course, Joy Reid dares to mention Afghanistan after 13 American troops, plus 150 Afghans, by the way, died under Joe Biden's watch due to Biden's actions. How dare you mention that when you're talking about being pro-life? When you support an administration that allowed these American troops to be killed by terrorists because of the political actions, the political decisions made by Joe Biden and his staff. This, this, the conglomeration of talking points here, these, all these silly, horrible talking points, you can't be pro-life unless, you can't be pro-life if, this is a favorite talking point from the left, and it's simply not true. And here, here's what I would say. When you have a scientist, for example, and we're talking about pre-COVID, if you have a scientist who's a cancer researcher, you don't say to that cancer researcher, 
You don't care about life because you don't research ALS. You don't research AIDS and HIV. No. You understand that some people specialize in certain areas and that this person is researching life-saving medicine in this particular area. And that's what I would say about people that are pro-life. You can be an anti-abortion activist. You can be a pro-life activist. You can work at a crisis pregnancy center, and of course you're pro-life. Pro-lifers support all kinds, a whole host of resources and support systems for women after they have had babies or while they're pregnant. But just because someone works specifically on abortion, specifically in a crisis pregnancy center, doesn't mean they don't care about the rest of it. It just means that's their specialty. But Joy Reid, of course, doesn't care about that. And then in closing here, I just want to bring this back to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is in the title of this bill, and that is the heartbeat bill. If you cannot say the word heartbeat when talking about the Texas abortion bill, it's because you know a heartbeat means the baby is a person, a human being. And since the baby's a person, it's wrong and grotesque to kill her. It is a heartbeat because it's a heart, which means it's alive. It's human. It's a baby. It's wrong to kill her. It's not rocket science. It's just regular science. And that is all I have for today. Jay Hay says it's time to go. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. Uh, We will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, think for yourself. Do not cave to the experts. Use critical thought. Question authority. Follow the facts. And don't let government or corporate wokeism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.